Well, thank you, Susan, for reading that to us. Um, I trust if you're within reach of a Bible at home, you can follow that way. Otherwise, keep um, that bit of the service sheet in view, please, as we look at James 1 together. Let's pray. Our verse of the month is that uh, verse 5 of our reading, and we acknowledge um, that we do indeed lack wisdom, Heavenly Father, and we want to ask you for it as we turn to your word this morning, and thank you that you don't find fault, you're a generous God, you give that wisdom to us. Uh, We pray you would today, in Jesus' name, amen. So as uh, Miles mentioned, for the start of a new year, uh, we start out on a new book of the Bible, the letter of James. And I'm going to uh, engage in a bit of shorthand and uh, cut some of the long discussion about which James it is. It's most likely James, the brother of Jesus, and the leader of the Jerusalem church until his death around 62 AD. Although in verse 1 he gives us fairly scanty details. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ maybe scanty because um, as the brother of the Lord Jesus, he was being modest in the way he described himself there. Who is he writing to? Well, have a look. He's sending greetings to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And that too has caused a lot of discussion, but it is probably shorthand for Christians generally, the true Israel, God's people, throughout the world, but it's a telling detail that those who are so special to God, his chosen ones, are living in alien territory. They're scattered throughout the world, living as a minority, uh, where they don't belong, rubbing shoulders amongst the nations with lots of other people in a fallen world. And that little description uh, makes it, at least it seems so to me, very apt for our situation. Here we are in early January 2022. We are a handful of people in the church building. We had a few uh, in between services and at the 9 o'clock, 9.30 as well, a few others watching online. We might well feel that if we are actually able all to gather together, those four groups, uh, there'd be a certain strength in numbers. We'd feel uh, slightly uh, stronger than we are, but we aren't. Um, We're scattered, as it were. We're heading for heaven, we trust, but in all the toing and froing of life at the moment, we're painfully aware that we are not there yet. There's plenty of things to remind us of that, aren't there? Life in a fallen world is not easy. And the trials which we're passing through aren't short-lived either, are they? Who would have thought that COVID would have continued to have such an impact nearly two years on since we first heard about it? And yet it uh, reinvents itself, doesn't it, and continues. Every time a lockdown is eased, we're tempted to think it's over, only to be surprised by a variant of concern. Or things morph into other challenges. No petrol, so you've got to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to fill up the car, or whatever else it might be. All sorts of challenges that just continue, one after another. Uh, Leave aside the stuff of normal life, which we've all had to continue dealing with. I don't know how you felt 
with um, all the different challenges. I expect I'm not alone if at various points I've felt that I would spontaneously combust if I met somebody who at the wrong point in, in my day said to me, well, praise the Lord anyway, he's on the throne, isn't he? I know that, I believe it, but sometimes it's hard to hear. And you might find verse 2 of our reading difficult uh, just from where your vantage point is today. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Have you ever encountered the sort of Christian that says, praise the Lord anyway? Maybe you've been in a situation where somebody in a group of people has just mentioned that uh, a family member has stage 4 inoperable cancer. And a well-meaning Christian says breezily, well, praise God anyway. Is James here inviting us to count it all joy in those sorts of circumstances? Is he asking us to brace ourselves for yet more uncertainty and struggle in 2022 with a smile? Well, let's look at it a little more. The New Testament I just assume that we know this of uh, the Bible as a whole. The New Testament never belittles human suffering. The Bible knows and understands human suffering and sorrow. Our Savior bore those things himself, as we'll be thinking about in communion in a few moments' time. He came into our, a world of suffering and didn't shield himself from it at all. He bore the full weight of it when he went to the cross. And anyway, James's sentence doesn't finish at the end of verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, the next word's so important, because, in other words, there's a reason he's going to give. It's not mindless joy he's calling us to, rejoicing against all the odds. And I want to suggest there are two things that God longs for us to experience in the midst of trials from the rest of today's section. The first is this, God's purpose. So let me read on in verse 3, after that all-important word, because. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, the problems we face are not just random occurrences, uh, like a hand of cards where chance sometimes gives you a lot of bad cards all at once. The problems in God's design are trials. They pose a question, which way will we go? And if and when we go God's way, that actually reinforces our spiritual life. So it's a bit like using a muscle, putting it under pressure, maybe tiring and tough, but it strengthens and grows that muscle. So says James, God's purpose in our trials is this. When our faith is tested and confirmed, the result is perseverance. In just the same way that an athlete endures in order to build up further endurance, so a Christian perseveres on the trial in order to build up more perseverance. And that contributes the growth of our character. It must finish its work, says James, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, it's the season of New Year's resolutions, isn't it, at the moment? We're probably reflecting on our lives at the moment, 
in all sorts of different ways. And we ask that question, what is the goal of my life this coming year? Well, God's goal, God's purpose, is maturity. And that's worth bearing in mind when it comes to those resolutions, isn't it? We're not just after a few minor improvements here and there, a bit less rage and a bit more courage, um, a little less lust, a bit more love, whatever it might be, a few adjustments and tweaks. We often think that way when we're assessing our lives at the moment. But God is after something much more holistic, much more wholesale than that, maturity, lacking nothing. That's the sort of language we have here. And James is saying that trials are the pathway to his purpose being achieved in our lives. There was a famous philanthropist and Christian leader in the 19th century called George Muller. And a young man had consulted him about a problem he had with his impatience. He had a very short fuse. And he'd gone to Muller and said, look, I want to be more patient. Oh, they talked about it for a while. And then Muller said, well, let's commit it to the Lord in prayer. So they knelt and they prayed. And Muller, in his prayer, said this, Lord, please grant this young man much tribulation. At which point the young man interrupted. Excuse me. This is right in the middle of the praying for your time together. Excuse me, Mr. Muller. It's not tribulation I, I was concerned about. It's patience I want. Well, said Muller. And he quoted the old King James Version of the Bible. Romans 5 verse 3 says, Tribulation worketh patience. So, young man, if you want patience, you need tribulation as well. And our modern translation in Romans 5 is very close to what James is saying. Suffering produces perseverance. So the experience may not be very pleasant. I'm not suggesting, you've already heard me say this, I'm not suggesting we adopt a super spiritual approach that when suffering comes our way, we're to say, oh, thank God that feels great. It doesn't. But God's grace can make a painful experience beneficial. A musician only stretches the strings of their violin to make it play better music. And God only stretches us to grow us, to make us better in relationship with him. We might prefer an easy life, but something more than our comfort is at stake in life. I want to invite you to be honest and do a little reflection at the moment and work out whether you have a personality which only loves the Lord when things are going well for you. Is it your temperament that basically you're a sort of glass half full person and when things are going well, when the sun is shiny, shining, you are, are happy. But then when you're under pressure, your steadfastness evaporates. Or um, if your physical capabilities and comforts get taken away, your contentment disappears at the same time. Or when you face gossip or persecution, that actually dents your confidence in God as well. That could happen if you are basically um, somebody that uh, is happy when you're comfortable in life. So you have to go through a, a stage in life where you're living at a frenetic pace, or you've suffered some massive disappointment, does that mean your spiritual life is going to be a casualty? If we're living for creature comforts, then I think it is very hard to make sense of James's call to joy here. 
But what if God is after giving us something more than an easy, comfortable life? Character, not just candy floss. In a fallen world, James says, trials build perseverance. And perseverance yields maturity, stability for our characters. Now, here's the good news. I, I think I see evidence of that all the time in our lives this last two years, difficult as they've been. It's one of the privileges of being in the position I'm in in the church. I get to know quite a lot of what's going on in people's lives. And I, I want to say that I'm encouraged that God has been at work amongst us. Perhaps in a way we wouldn't have chosen, uh, but he has had a purpose in the trials which wouldn't have been achieved if he'd always been in the habit of giving us exactly what we want, if he'd kept from us all the things that we don't like. So as I look out on a Sunday, standing from this vantage point, I see people that I know have basically persevered through trial after trial after trial, and there has been a, a yield, a positive yield in their lives. They don't particularly notice that as they battle tough situations in, in family life or in the workplace or whatever it might be and as they sort of goad themselves into action in the morning and put the legs over the end of the bed and have that daily battle to get going and the cogs were about no message having come in the night to imply that Jesus Christ doesn't love them that he didn't die on the cross for them um, and the cogs were a bit further, and they say to themselves, no, have I had any message that he didn't rise from the dead? All the evidence suggests he does. And we go through that sort of thought process that says, yeah, those things I've always believed are still true. The trials haven't made them untrue. I'm going to keep going. I don't have any choice for that. I see that sort of thing happening in lots of people's lives individually. I see those calculations going on through the trials, corporately as well, for us as a church. I was saying that the musicians that appear at 8.30 in the morning when the building's still cold and start practicing for one or two services that will see them potentially through to 12.30. Not today, but often that's the way. I got here at 8.30 thinking I was the first in the building. They were already here. And that's a, a decision to see a way through the trials, which I think yields maturity for the whole church. I think God's at work in that process. Well, how are we going to lean into God's purpose? Much more briefly, there's a second provision for us in these verses, and I'm calling it God's perspective. Let me read on in verses 5 to 8 just to refresh our memory on those verses. And can I just say this? Um, some people say that James is just full of lots of random best thoughts. Let's give him the credit of believing that he's not just firing off a completely new thought as we read verses 5 to 8. There's a definite connection with what's gone before. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded 
and unstable in all they do. Now, it's our verse of the month, verse 5. It's a great verse for a month, or not bad for a motto for the year. It's a wonderful standalone verse, isn't it? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How many times in 2022 do you think that'll be a promise to claim for us? Many, many times we lack wisdom, and God wants us to turn to him and to pray and then walk with him into the light. But here's the link with what we've been thinking about. We particularly feel our lack of wisdom when we're going through trials. And to navigate tough times, we greatly need a heavenly perspective, the wisdom to discern what God's purposes are. That's what we need if we're to persevere. What exactly is being promised? I don't expect on the basis of this verse, verse 5, that God will dispense wisdom like a slot machine in pre-packaged plots of individual guidance. He does do that sometimes. Of course he does. He, he can do that. Sometimes that is what we need, and mercifully he does it. But it doesn't seem to me that he's encouraging us here to seek God for the Christian equivalent of fortune cookies or horoscopes, just a little convenient dose of wisdom. Nor is it saying that we'll be given instant omniscience, the wisdom of God in that sense. So sort of God intravenously injects us with solutions to our questions. Um, In our family, we've been enjoying the new Round the World in 80 Days on the iPlayer. And each episode, the uh, intrepid travelers seem to face impossible, intractable problems, which get neatly sorted out in a mere 48-minute episode. Now, that is not what James is promising here, wisdom to deal with challenges in that way, uh, like that. The purposes of God are hard to fathom, and when the trials come, it doesn't seem to me it's a natural response for us to think, Great, this is, going to, this is going to improve my character and develop me in lots of ways. Bring it on, God. So there's an implied question which a believer is almost bound to ask. How can I get the right perspective on my trials? Where do I get the wisdom to respond to my trials in a way that will produce these positive results in my life? And James answers that question. Ask God for that wisdom. And commit yourself to his perspective and his purposes. This is the little bit I'm not going to spend so much time in verses 6 to 8 on. He's really challenging us there. Don't hedge your bets. Don't say, I'll face the trials your way, God, so long as it works out how I want. That's what he calls double-mindedness, hedging our bets, uh, a commitment in part to God's wisdom, but backing my own judgment and my own resources really is the way through. We will never be truly wise or stable if we live that way. He says you'll be buffeted by waves. I don't know that you often get waves on the River Cam, but Mark Ashton used to have an illustration for this where he'd say that um, punters um, in those punts on the River Cam often have one foot on the bank and one foot on the punt. And those two are diverging 
if we commit ourselves to God's wisdom, that's the stable one, and our wisdom, when those two are moving apart, we'll always be unstable that way. There's no problem with God granting us wisdom. He gives generously without finding faults. There's often a problem in us in receiving it. And if we're double-minded, he says, we'll never really get that maturity and stability that God wants for us. But if we trust those promises and commit ourselves to them, we will grow in that heavenly perspective. That's the assurance here. Now, it's immensely practical for us. You can sort of, um, I'm sure, think of all sorts of situations in your life where this applies. I mean, just cast your mind back, if you want to, to a conversation you had with a friend this week. You could ask yourself a question of that conversation, if you've got one in mind that you're thinking about. How much of that conversation was positive? How much of it was negative? Grumbling about what's wrong with your life or in the world. And then ask the follow-up question, what is it that makes the difference? Is it not the wisdom of God, a discerning of his purposes that yields hope down the track that makes the difference? When you've had a bad day at work, um, how could you better avoid grumbling to your spouse about it when you get back home? Might it be that heavenly perspective that we need, that will hold us in difficult times. Whatever difficulties you've faced recently or are facing, have you considered how God might be using them for your maturity? And have you prayed that way, for that perspective? It's practical for other people as well, if you want to help them. I remember a meeting some years ago when a few of us were talking in the rectory about parenting teenagers and somebody there commented, a parent commented on the great need she perceived for teenagers to develop resilience. And she was just talking about the way they face so many different pressures um, from school for getting decent grades, from parents for all sorts of milestones hopefully being reached, from their peers for social acceptance and so on. And this was years before COVID had come on the scene. Uh, which has highlighted this need for resilience even more acutely, with spiraling mental health difficulties being seen amongst young people. So the question comes, how can we help them towards that resilience so that they don't get depressed and discouraged when things are hard or just explode with rage? Well, we don't do it by offering easy solutions but the Christian faith does have something to offer there. Not the British stiff upper lip of stoicism, just toughing it out in the hard times. Not the sort of breezy, super spiritual approach, praise the Lord anyway. Neither of those will ever yield real resilience. What we all need is, is both these things from James chapter 1, isn't it? Offered by God to us, real purpose in our trials because God is using everything to shape our characters, and real perspective, wisdom from God in answer to our prayers, and lived out as we walk with God, praying to him and seeing answers from him. That makes workable, livable sense 
of our world in all its complexity. I'm not being glib, it doesn't make total sense always, but workable, livable sense is possibly is possible for us that way. Churches don't often quote the uh, German atheistic philosopher Nietzsche, but I think he got this right. He said that if someone has a why for their life, they can live with almost any how. That's right, isn't it? That's what James is saying. God is offering us a purpose and a perspective, the all-important why, to take us through many different paths in life, many trials, the hows which we all uh, face and uh, need his wisdom for. So let's ask him for it. As we turn to communion now, let's do so with one eye on the man of sorrows who experienced trials firsthand and faced them with God's purpose and God's perspective in mind. Let's pray together. just commit to you, even now, those of our number who are facing trials of many kinds at the moment, Heavenly Father. Maybe there's uh, folk in the church building that have got struggles only they know about, and they need your help, Father. Those online, uh, a different selection of battles and struggles they're facing at the moment. Perhaps some who wish they could be with us but aren't able to be. We thank you that their struggles and trials are not unknown to you. They're not random. You have a purpose for our lives, Heavenly Father, and we pray that you would bring that purpose to fulfillment, that that maturity would be seen, that we'd lack nothing long-term as you work in us. And we thank you for every way in which you've been doing that, uh, even over the last two very difficult years. We thank you as we contemplate the Lord Jesus now for his willingness to come into our world, to be born in the first place that first Christmas, to rub shoulders with all the uh, struggles and difficulties of life, as people lived in a a sin-sick, broken world. We thank you that he never turned away from those problems, but went right through to the cross on our behalf. And we thank you that whether we're in the building this morning or in our homes, we can feed inwardly on what he did for us when he died on the cross for us. We thank you that that can be meat and drink to us, as we press on in relationship with you. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in your tender mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to rescue us. He made there a full and perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And he commands us to share bread and wine in memory of his precious death until he comes again. Hear us, merciful Father, that we who receive this bread and wine today to remember his death and suffering may be partakers of his body and blood. We thank you for our wider fellowship with those who are standing on that death uh, themselves for their hope for eternity. 
and we rejoice in our fellowship with them. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this when you drink it, in remembrance of me. Amen.